Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As many of you know, I was in the Army quite a few years ago. And to those of you in the back row, no, it was not in the Confederacy. <laughs> After receiving my commission as a second lieutenant, I went through the infantry officer's basic course in Fort Benning, Georgia, and I was assigned to Army Intelligence. Army Intelligence, I realized that that is quite an oxymoron. <laughs> kind of like a working vacation or jumbo shrimp. Uh, I mentioned this to Anders, and I think he's still laughing about it. So. Anyway, I was sent to Army Intelligence School at Fort Holabird, Maryland, which was a small post just outside of Baltimore. During the course of my secret training, we had a section on surveillance, surveillance, where uh, you follow someone without them knowing it so you can see what they're really up to. Um, I was excited about this part of our training as uh, we were going to practice surveillance. In anticipation, I went out and I bought a new suit and a new sport coat, a, a shirt and tie, because after spending several months in fatigues in the red clay of Georgia and wearing uniforms at the intelligence school, we were going to do something in civilian clothes for a change. I was ready. So at the end of that training session, uh, our final test was to follow a guy in downtown Baltimore. We were two-man surveillance teams, and at a certain time, he was going to appear on a busy street corner, and then we were going to follow him for the next couple of hours. I was pretty good at this. And we followed him uh, downtown, and he went into a coffee shop and got a cup of coffee and sat in front of the window while we stood outside in doorways trying to keep our eye on him. Uh, we followed him. Uh, I was on one side of the street, my partner was on the other, uh, and after he was done with his coffee, he walked up and down the street for a while, and then he entered into a big department store. Uh, a little trickier, but my partner and I were kept him in sight, and I remember following him down an aisle in that department store on, on one of the floors, and, and when he suddenly stopped and he turned around, and he started walking right back towards me. Well, the trick of the trade is that you pick up a piece of merchandise and you study it like you're a regular shopper just picking out some item. Uh, and you keep one eye on the merchandise and you keep one eye on the subject until he passes you and then you resume following him. I'm sure my training and my professional demeanor didn't give me away as I slowly returned the item of ladies' lingerie <laughs> to the shelf and resumed my sur surveillance. My partner and I continued the surveillance for an hour or so, and then we lost our subject. We were still pretty happy with ourselves for first effort. Uh, we returned to the school for a debriefing, and with an instructor and the subject of our surveillance, 
we went over the route, and he told us how he had slipped away and gave us some tips on, on what we could do in the future. But feeling very confident, I asked him, I said, you know, how long was it before you realized that we were following you? And then he studied and thought about it, and he said, mm, five minutes, ten minutes. I said, what, what gave us away? Did we follow too close? Was it our army haircuts? Remember, this is 1968. The age of Aquarius was just beginning. Uh, and our, our hair was a little bit shorter than most. And the subject said, no, it was your bright yellow plaid sport coat. <laughs> he said it was kind of like a spotlight was following me. So my new sport coat was just a little too bright to blend in. And from then on, I wore it only on social occasions. <laughs> well, in our scripture reading this morning, it was obvious that Jesus did not have a bra in his hand, nor was he wearing a bright yellow sport coat. Our two travelers, part of the hundred or so followers, uh, along with the remaining 11 disciples, were in Jerusalem. They certainly were not two of the 11 disciples. The majority of scholars believe they were two men, one of whom, by the text, was named Cleopas. Uh, a few commentaries speculated that it, the two were Cleopas and his unnamed wife. For, as later in the reading, if you recall, they invited Jesus to stay in the evening, something that a married couple would do at that time. But our reading begins with, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And on the road they were joined by Jesus, who asked them what they were discussing. And the text says, they stood still, looking sad. Now we have to remember where we are in the Easter story. We joined them on Sunday afternoon, just a few hours after the tomb was discovered to be empty. The third day after Jesus, the mighty prophet, was hung from the cross and died. The crucifixion was still fresh in their minds. Their leader was dead and was now missing. And the reaction that Sunday afternoon was to get away from Jerusalem. The high priests had convicted him and the Romans had killed him. He was gone. Now the women had visited the tomb and said two angels told them that Jesus was alive, but when the men went to the tomb, they did not see him. And as a side note, we know in those days that women were not even allowed to be witnesses in a legal proceeding. And one source put it, but I would never put it this way, one source put it that the words of these women seemed like idle chatter to the apostles. Now I ask you, is this the first recorded time a group of stubborn men refused to listen to a group of women? Just asking for a friend? <laughs> or maybe a spouse? So Cleopas and his companion were going home. They had hoped that Jesus was the one, the one that would reclaim Israel. But now is the third day, and they were sad. 
and going home. Not returning to Jerusalem and not believing the teacher's words saying that he would return on the third day. They were going away, blinded by disappointment, grief, fear, fear of the consequences. I guess, though, we can't place all of our disappointment or all of our feelings of superiority on these two. As you recall, in Anders' sermon last week, he pointed out that Peter and the other disciples, even after Jesus' appearance, to them, and again in presence of Thomas, that Peter and the others had left Jerusalem also, and they went back fishing. And as I was writing this and listened to my thoughts, my own thoughts, creep towards that saying of, O ye of little faith, I thought, how many times have I felt like them? How many times and how far have I turned away from Jesus after a bad day or a bad phone call? How distant did I walk after a tragedy that took the life of a friend? How bad did I want to flee after the news of another school shooting? Seven miles? 700 miles? On the road to Emmaus? I've walked that road. I think we all have. I've shared often that the path of my spiritual journey is not perfectly straight, but has switchbacks. Sometimes I'm going in a totally different direction. Sometimes it's on rough ground. I haven't even reached the pavement yet. I can see it, but I haven't reached the pavement yet. So I admit, I've been on the road to Emmaus just like Cleopas, and as Cleopas walked, a stranger joined them. Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I have to be honest, I've wondered, what's up with that? How could their eyes not recognize their teacher? As I researched for today, I found many theories like, After a hard three years of ministry and after the agony and brutal torture before and on the cross, Jesus' physical appearance had changed so drastically he couldn't be recognized. Or through the consecration of his body after the resurrection, he was so peaceful and refreshed that they couldn't recognize him. Or Jesus used his powers to not allow them to see him at that time. Now the Bible's full of instances where humans are prevented from seeing God or Jesus, all the way from Moses in the burning bush or Moses up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and God passing by so that Moses could only see his backside. And I've decided that Anders will have to handle that sermon. And there was Abraham and Sarah visited by three strangers who were sent by angels from God. Jacob wrestling with God on the river as a stranger. And Jesus appearing at the tomb to Mary, who thought he was the gardener. The lesson here and what we should be asking ourselves is, how many times have we, 
you and I, miss the presence of the Holy One who is right in front of us. How many times were we so busy with our life, so busy doing good things, worrying about something missing in our lives or the lives of our loved ones, that we miss the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was there to slow us down, to to see, to help us understand the real giving of ourselves, or to show us how we trust in him. How often have we looked the other way when we sensed his presence, but we know that if we turn towards him, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Or we might have to tell the whole complete truth. Or we might have to give up some of our precious time. Or we might even have to care for that jerk who lives across the street. How many times did we not recognize him and did not answer to, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison. I don't know how often I've looked at a man sitting on the corner outside Comerica Park and asking for money and as I walk past thinking, is that the face of God? Is that the face of Jesus? On the road again, walking slowly with a stranger who is my savior. Walking afraid and walking disappointed. How many times did that happen this week? Luckily for our friend Cleopas, as they walk, the stranger begins a full and complete Bible study of the Old Testament. Now remember, the New Testament wasn't written yet, it wasn't even being printed, but it was being lived in the Bible study, Jesus tells the story for Moses and all the teaches, teachings leading to the crucifixion and the promise that God is making for all his people. It is Israel's story told in a new way. The disciples were amazed at his teaching, and as they approached their destination, they invited the stranger to stay with them. They invited the stranger to stay at their home. They invited the stranger to stay in their lives. And Jesus stayed. The text then says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Same language Jesus used at the feeding of the 5,000. And again at the feeding of the 4,000. And again at the time of the Last Supper. And when, when Jesus did so, Cleopas and his companions' eyes were opened. They had made the invitation to stay in their lives, and he accepted. And they were blessed. Blessed with the teaching that Jesus keeps his promises, that he's faithful to us, and he's always with us since the time of Moses, even if we don't see him. 
But remember too, just as Jesus suffered on his journey, there will be times when we walk on the road through the valley of the shadow of death. But he is with us even in that valley. And his presence near us will always be felt. Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but the text says, and he vanished from their sight. So can you imagine the long walk, teaching of the scriptures, their invitation to rest and be fed, and Jesus' blessing and breaking of bread, and the joy of the realization of who their traveling companion was, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. So they got up and they returned the seven miles to Jerusalem at nighttime, where they sought out the eleven and their companions to gather together to say, the Lord has risen indeed. Their eyes were opened and their joyful message was, the Lord has risen indeed. So my prayer for you is that you'll have many road to Emmaus' experiences. My prayer is that you and I will have our eyes open and recognize Jesus Christ speaking to us here in worship, in our music, in our prayers, and at the table. I pray we will each recognize Christ speaking to us in the grocery store, at a restaurant, in school, on the curb at Comerica Park, or simply at a chance meeting with a stranger here in our own sanctuary. And I pray that when we recognize that Jesus is speaking to us, our hearts will burn within us and we will spread the same good news as Cleopas. The Lord has risen indeed. Hallelujah and amen.